KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team. Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash O-L-L-I. Welcome back to another edition of the KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast. I'm Beth Accomando. Filmmaker Robert Eggers shot his period film The Witch with mostly natural light. That means when night falls on the edge of a forest, you're confronted by country dark, a complete and utter blackness that can stir intense fear because what lies before you is a vast and potentially terrifying unknown. That's the sensation he conjures up with his feature debut, The Witch. Here's the trailer. What went we out into this wilderness to find? Leaving our country, kindred, our father's houses. For what? For the kingdom of God. Let us pray. Oh God, my Lord, I now begin. Oh, help me and I'll leave my sin. For I repentant now shall be. From evil I will turn to thee. None ever shall destroy my faith, for I repentant now shall be. O God, my Lord, I now begin, or help me and I'll leave my sin. For I repentant now shall be. From evil I will turn to thee. Let's leave the wood. Eggers draws on historical documents to create a film about what happens to a pious family made to live on their own at the edge of a forest. Things go bad quickly. The crops fail, the newborn goes missing, and the little girl says there's a witch living in the woods. Even the family goat, Black Philip, becomes a symbol of evil. Black Philip, if you are wicked. Does he really speak to thee? Eggers creates a luminously beautiful film about the terrifying folklore of his native New England. He conveys not simply the terror of the unknown or of the supernatural, but also the terror that comes when fear makes people turn on each other. As with films such as Bone Tomahawk and We Are What We Are, the witch challenges expectations about what we define as horror. Eggers delivers a stunning film about dread and the primordial fears that still lurk in our subconscious. I had a chance to speak to director Robert Eggers, who won the Best Directing Award at Sundance last year. I was beginning to feel like my interview with him was cursed because it had to be rescheduled three times. But I finally got to speak with him, and I wish he could be out here for a screening of the film because his movie pushes the boundaries on how we define horror. But the interview was cut short by a publicist who had to bring him to another event. So I didn't get to ask him as many questions as I wanted about the horror genre and how his film fits or doesn't fit into it. I did get to see his film and Bone Tomahawk at the Abattoir Horror Festival back in November of last year. So here's my interview with Robert Edgars. You based your film on historical documents that you found. And I was wondering, how did you find these documents and what about them made you feel that you wanted to make a film from them? Well, I grew up in New England and England's past was always very much part of my consciousness. If you've been to a small town in rural New England, you will know where I'm coming from, the dilapidated colonial farmhouses and graveyards in the middle of the woods, and it seemed to me that the 
white pine forest behind my house uh, was <laughs> haunted by pilgrims and, and witches of the past. So I was trying to make an archetypal New England horror story. That was my in- intention. And then I went about finding, researching and finding stuff where I could actually do that. So it wasn't as if I came across source material and then decided to make the movie. I pursued the material because there was a, an idea of a film that I wanted to create. I always had a very strong idea of New England's mythic past and the very, very beginnings of New England, the very beginnings of the Great Migration, when Western culture was so primitive here that certainly to a contemporary audience, it would feel like uh, the Middle Ages. So the materials that I used initially, and certainly the ones that the story is drawn from, most of them are pretty easy to find. I mean, I went to the New York Public Public Library. I live in Brooklyn now and have for quite some time. And anything witch-related or New England-related, I checked out and, and then kind of went from there. And most of the source material that is used are things that you can get on Google Books. Um, there, there were certainly some compilations uh, some uh, made by modern historians of more rare things, uh, but I never, you know, was in archives of some rare, uh, of some, I mean, you know, I was never like handling parchment paper with white gloves, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> There's this sense of hysteria that's in the film in terms of how accusations start to fly. Is that something that you feel is resonating for a contemporary audience? Well, yeah. I mean, I'm trying to do archetypal storytelling. That's the goal. And if I'm succeeding, uh, archetypes are always uh, reconstellating themselves. So this should work for any time. Certainly, if I made a film that only worked for people in the 17th century, then no one would like this thing. <laughs> so it has to it has to resonate now. And I think that it seems that there's lots of different themes that are resonating for different people today, which is which is great. I like films that raise more questions than provide answers. Okay, you brought up this idea of raising questions. So I'm curious, do you feel that as a filmmaker, did you have a point of view in terms of did you want the witches to be real or not? Because it seems like that has caused some debate in terms of you know people come out with different interpretations of the ending. I absolutely want different <laughs> different interpretations. I have my exact beliefs on everything. There has never, to my knowledge, been a question that I've seen out there or been asked that I haven't had an answer to. I was very deliberate on what I show and what I don't show, but I hope to kind of keep things open. But, you, you know, certainly by showing the witch, I'm not necessarily saying she exists, but I think that that's kind of the most basic not necessarily basic, not meaning bad, but it, but but basic reading. And I think that that's great if you want to just go in there and just say the witch is real and this whole thing is just the English Calvinist Puritans worldview made real. I think that that's, that in itself is an interesting film, even if you don't want to uh, dig deeper. Your film combines beauty and horror in a really interesting way. Can you, I mean, it's a gorgeous looking film. You. Can you talk a little bit about combining those elements and is that something that is sometimes troublesome for viewers in terms of how they they grasp it because it, it it doesn't kind of fit into neat expectations about the horror genre i'm just trying to do the kind of storytelling that i like 
I think that where uh, the composition can seem painterly and things, that just has to do with partially the fact that we, we've um, articulated the 17th century world very authentically and very specifically, and so that in itself is suggestive of, of some things that are potentially, you know, more beautiful. And Jaron Blaschke, the DP, who's a real artist, is, a, is just you know, excellent at lighting. He finds a kind of harmony in the available light by, by sculpting it the way he does. And, you know, I think that in making these kinds of creative works, we're always trying to find some kind of harmony in chaos, even if the story is itself chaotic. <laughs> now, you come from a production background in terms of costume and, and set design. Because I can't show people a visual clip of your film, can you talk a little bit about that visual style that you're creating in the film and, and how that comes across? Sure. I think that the whole the whole thing is that the film needs to be gloomy and oppressive. It's very void of color. We and, and, and very little very, very little was done with color grading in post production. If you were there on set you would have remarked by how little color there was in the costumes uh, and by being uh, very uh, restrictive about only shooting when there was cloud coverage, even people's skin when you don't have much light on it and it's all gray can become somewhat gray. But then in order to really transport the audience back into the 17th century, back into the mindset of these people, I spent four years researching the period and working with museums and historians and people in the living history community to make sure that the costumes were clothing and not costumes and all hand-stitched, made from patterns of extant clothing, and that the family's farmstead, you know, everything that appears on camera is made from the correct materials that it would have been made from, uh, which very often meant that if it needed, it, that, that in order to make it look right, we needed to use the tools and techniques from the period to, to craft furniture and shutters and doors and clapboards and things. Certainly, if we could use a chainsaw, uh, or a, uh, a screw gun, you know, we would. But if if, it, if if that modern modern tools would have somehow made it look not right, we couldn't we couldn't do it. Again, this is not just because I come from a design background, but because it's my belief that all those details add up to something that can truly be transported for an audience. And the more of those things you let slide, the more you have something that just doesn't feel real. Even if the audience can't articulate, that's the wrong shape of the candlestick or whatever, or whatever uh, enough of those things make something that feels phony. Well, adding to the mood of the film is your sound design, which was superb. Thank you. How did you approach, because there doesn't seem to be a hard line between the difference between sound effects and, and the sounds of the environment and the music that's incorporated. I'm really glad you, you feel that way. Um, I mean, certainly interdepartmentally there was more or less hard lines, uh, but there is so much in the, in the sound design uh, where we're recording sounds of nature or in a, an, an audio booth with a Foley guy with branches and twigs trying to make the sounds of the branches uh, blowing in the trees. But, the, but I, I think, you know, part of why you might feel the way you do is because even uh, with the percussion, 
that I was doing with Mark Korv and the composer, we wanted the percussive elements to sound natural and, and stick-like also. And, and so that kind of approach was, was all over the place. So I'm glad that, that you feel they work hand-in-hand. Hand. But, but, yeah, certainly um, nature itself needed to be this overwhelming force always present in the film. And, and the music, uh, oftentimes, I, I tend to like film scores that are really just supportive and don't draw a lot of attention to themselves but in this film there are certainly uh, moments where all the diegetic sound effects disappear and we only have music. Music to kind of finish the image because I'm trying to articulate heightened states of emotion that we don't get to very often. I think music can be very helpful in articulating kind of like dream dreamy, nightmarish-like states. I'm curious, as a filmmaker, do you feel a film like this is difficult to promote? Because it seems that these days a lot of trailers want to tell the audience everything, thinking that that's the only way to get them in. And your film is so wonderful to go in not knowing anything. It is complicated. I... I... I, if I hear about a film that sounds interesting, I immediately try to run away, uh, hide my ears, hide my eyes from any content re- related to it because I want to come in pure and virgin-like to the experience. And so, yeah, like going through the marketing with this, it's, there's a lot of things that I consider too spoilery. However, I think that because this film is, you know, people refer to it as, quote, a slow burn, and compared to a lot of, you know, larger budget uh, horror films, uh, it just, the, the pace and tone is very different. So I think that actually some of this stuff, like the focus on Black Phillip, the goat, which is something that I was actually <laughs> trying to diminish in the edit of, of the film, you know, but that kind of focus of Black Phillip and having, having him become this internet meme, and the twins also, I think it actually can potentially give a broad, broader audience, like, more uh, more narrative things to kind of like grab onto and own uh, when they watch the film. So I think that it's a complicated dance, and certainly I hate being ground through the hype machine, but, you know, as you said, this is the world we live in today. <laughs> I heard you describe the film as a Puritan nightmare. Is Do you feel that that's what you've created? Yeah, I think that's, that's not bad, um, but, you know, definitely that was one of my intentions. Like, this needed to feel like an inherited nightmare, uh, awakenings, ancient ancestral fears we didn't know we we had. Like even if our ancestors aren't literally Puritans, you, you know we're all sort of in North America uh, are are faced with some of the, the the same parts of the unconscious of Western culture. Uh, so so yeah, Puritan's nightmare I think is accurate, and and I think a Puritan would f- certainly find this <laughs> to be nightmarish. <laughs> Well, you talk about going back to these ancestral kind of roots, and one of the things I thought the film created really well is that sense of the unknown in the forest and that kind of blackness. I mean, it's kind of the way more recently we've looked at space or something as being this thing out there we know nothing about. And I was just wondering when you were, you know, shooting the film, was that because you used a lot of natural light, correct, to... Yeah, shoot. I mean, almost entirely, aside from the night exteriors, you know, and there's a couple, a few exceptions otherwise, but it's, yeah. Because you really create that sense of that unknown 
quantity that, out that's there. great i love that you say that because i i do feel like the kinds of films that are asking the kinds of questions that i'm attempting to ask in this film today tend to be science science fiction there's not a lot of people who are you know, sort of and, and that's because you know science and number is is the new god and uh God is the old one, so, so, you know. Well, and also I feel like we don't have that same sort of sense of the unknown as it probably felt back then. I mean, there's still things that scare us, and there's still unknown things out there, but it seems like we've explored so much and have so much visual content and so much media coming at us, but your film really got to this, like, maybe even Lovecraftian kind of sense of that like the old awesome. ones yeah, or something I mean, I, out I, there. I, totally, yeah. I mean, he's someone who's searching to find the horror in the sublime uh, in, in a similar, more experienced way than me. But yeah, I mean, that's that's great. But, you know, it's interesting because I think that I was talking to a young uh, woman who, I guess, she who's a millennial, who was telling me about having to be forced to go camping on a school trip and, and the terror that it inspired in, in her and her friends who spend all day long, like, on their butt in front of a computer. So I, I think that, like, in a way, as much as we've explored all the world, there's still this overwhelming force with nature that people still can find mysterious and something that they have to come to grips with. I'm also curious in terms of the promotion of the film, how do you feel about the partnership that's kind of come up with the Satanic Temple? Do you feel that's kind of setting expectations in a way you like for your film? Or, I mean, I'm just curious because it's an interesting... I'm surprised that it, it hasn't caused more controversy, but it, it's, it seems like an interesting approach. It's nice to have fans. <laughs> of any kind is what you're saying. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. All right, all right. <laughs> Beth, I'm so sorry to interrupt, but we're gonna have to we're gonna have to jump off. Okay, all right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks so much for helping get the word out. Sure. I saw your film in Abattoir in Wales, actually. Oh wow! Cool. Yeah. So it was great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another edition of the KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast. Be listening for a special edition of the podcast on the film The Look of Silence, which is nominated for an Academy Award for Best Documentary. I'll be speaking with Joshua Oppenheimer about the film, and it'll be screening here in San Diego at San Diego State University for free on Tuesday. So till our next film fix, I'm Beth Accomando, your resident cinema junkie.